Hello, I'm Rob Buckingham and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, episode 85. We dig deep into topics and questions each week to discover what the Bible says. Some Bible teaching on sex has done great harm to people. Consider purity culture as one example. In this episode, my guest Shane Willard explores a healthier understanding of human sexuality from the scriptures. What does the Bible teach about Christians and sex? Let's find out. Shane, this is a topic that I didn't think could cover two weeks because you know, when I first became a Christian, the message was very simple. If you're single, don't. That was it. <laughs> so it didn't need two hours to talk about the Bible and sex. Just don't. And, and let's be clear about this. First of all, um, am I your first guest in four weeks? Yeah. Come on. How good is that? I know. That, that, that's first. Second, second uh, you're right. Like when I was young, the the when and the who of sex was all they talked about. They just yeah. left the why and the what to the side. As if and, and let's yeah. just be clear. Okay, let's just let's 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 be clear about two things. Um, one, it, it didn't work. Um, no, the, the, the science, you're so the right. Science, can we just can, all right? So um, that, that's first. Um, the 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 social science on this is is incredibly clear. Uh, the, the generation born in the 40s had over three times as many sex partners before marriage as the generation uh, born as the generation turning 30 today did. Um, so they were like literally three times more promiscuous. And, he, and here was the here was the caveat to that is that um, the generation born in the 40s got married at 19 or 20. Now they're getting married at 31. So with a decade more practice, they're having over three times as many sex partners. And so um, so when the study came out from the University of Washington. I didn't know about it until I was watching a sports show called Mike and Mike in the Morning, which is um, basically it was Mike Golick Sr., Mike Golick Jr. talking about sports. And Mike Golick Sr. brings this study out. And this is, let me be clear, this is a peer-reviewed academic study. This didn't have, you know, this wasn't trying to prove a point. And Mike Golick Sr. is making a joke. He goes, finally, finally scientific proof that my generation had more sex than yours, you know? And so <laughs> I was, I was very surprised by that. And um, because of, because of how people in their seventies talk, they, they, they act like, Oh, this generation, they're the worst ever. Mm, there's pictures of Woodstock, bro. And, yeah. and, and so I, I took that study to my father. My father was born in 1946. And I said, dad, I, I don't want to know details. Um, I just want to know, do you like basically agree, basically disagree, strongly agree, strongly disagree? Are you neutral? You know, my, my dad said, oh, look, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm saying this right. Um, does that study say that I had more sex or less sex than my grandchildren? And I was like, oh, way more, actually unthinkable more. <laughs> like, like it, it's hard to imagine how much more. And and my dad was like, oh, for sure. He said, yeah, I, I was he said I was 17 years old in 1963. And so, you know, I, I, I laugh at that now and go, you know, when I hear someone in their 70s go, oh, this generation these days, this is the most impure generation ever. Mm -mm, no, no, you. Mm. Yeah, the science is really, really clear. So, so focusing entirely on the who and the when instead of the instead of the what and the why did not work. That's number one. No. And, and number two, and I think that this calls for some. I mean, we're having like what I just said was a hundred percent true, but I, 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 but it's also I'm trying to make some light and some fun to 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 get us all to admit that one. Um, if everybody knew everything about our entire history, none of us would want that. that no. That's number one. And number two, um, for us to discuss this, and, and again, this is like, um, oh, um, you know, this is, we can't tell how people are responding, but I, I think, can we just all admit, um, for this to be effective, we all have to admit that none of us have ever had a conversation about this topic that when we walked away, we thought, I just nailed it. 
I, I, I perfectly, I didn't leave any stone unturned. I, I, I perfectly balanced compassion and dignity and scripture and reverence and the other person's story. And I, I, I honestly, no one will ever do that as good as I just did it. And, and I think, I think as long as we could admit the absurdity of that, um, of that premise, I think we could actually journey in a way tonight and next week where it, it, it can be helpful. Yeah. I agree. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to exploring this topic uh, with you over a couple of hours. Um, where would you like to start on, on on our exploration of sex in the scriptures? Well, let's start with some scripture and let's start with some history. Um, let's start with the book of Romans. Why, why not? Um, uh, so uh, the book of Romans is written by Paul. Um, and again, if anybody's watching this and thinks I'm explaining to Rob who wrote Romans, I'm not. I'm we're kind of you know, we're, we're assuming that people, you know, might not know things. Um, and so Paul uh, writes this letter that like, Rob, I, I don't know your whole story, but I can tell you in my story, um, Romans was cheapened down to this systematic theology on how to make sure you go to heaven. Yeah, it was the four um, spiritual laws, wasn't it? So just tick yeah. these four boxes. You'll go to heaven. Everything's hunky dory. Right, and it goes. And if you don't know what that is, it goes something like this: um, Admit you're a sinner for all of sin and fall short of glory, of God. Uh, Romans six: The wages of sin is death, uh, but the gift of God's eternal life. And then Romans ten: uh, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Right. So it goes something. And I think I'm being fair to. to yeah. To, to yeah. it, um, and, and the absurdity of cheapening it to that, um, like if if Romans ten nine and ten uh, was Paul's formula to go to heaven, he just forgot to tell the Philippians, <laughs> and pretty <laughs> like, well every other church as well, as well. You know, you imagine you imagine Paul later going, ah, man, Done. like um, Coloss the, the poor Colossians have no idea how to go to heaven. Uh, the Galatians, no idea. Thessalonians, no clue. Ephesians, no idea. Um, uh, Philippians, no idea. And he failed to mention it to Philemon or Timothy or Titus. Like, I mean, this guy really dropped the ball. If he was trying to explain the only way to make sure you go to heaven, and then he just left it off of every, um, every other letter. And so the question is, why is it there? Well, a couple of things. One, um, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth, Jesus Lord, you'll be saved. Uh, to understand this, you understand that in the Roman Empire, there was a nine-layered class system. And um, if you were a class one citizen of the capital city, you were guaranteed a living wage uh, based on the excessive taxation of everybody else. And that living wage was called the dole. That's true. You can read about that in uh, in De Silva's book, Unholy Allegiance. It's David De Silva. Um, and anyway, so he... So so to go to when you went to collect your dole payment, say on Friday, uh, you'd go to the dole collection center and you had to make a confession with your mouth. Caesar is Lord. And so Paul brings this thing up and says, well, actually, if you believe that Jesus has a better way of seeing the world to the point that you're willing to lose that confession, I know it might cost you your livelihood, but, but you can understand that God is faithful to save you. This is much nice. bigger than just pray this magic prayer to make sure you go to heaven when you die. This is an in-your-face confrontation to a fundamental way of seeing the world. So a, a quick history lesson about Rome. So in 50 AD, there was a Roman emperor named Claudius, and Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. Um, according to Roman history, it was over conflict over someone named Christos. Now, in the Roman histories, it does not say Jesus Christos, okay, um, or Jesus Christos. It, it just says Christos. So um, it it could have been feasibly another person claiming to be the, the Messiah. There was 24 different Messiahs in a 120-year period of time. Um, there was Menahem, Simon Ben-Gwara, Simon Bar-Kopa. There was the Egyptian. But just for our discussions tonight, let's assume there was conflict in Rome over Jesus Christ or Christos. So Claudius kicks all the Jews out, and he had only to quickly realize, oh, oh no, like he, he sabotaged 
the economy of Rome. You can't you can't throw all the Jews out of Rome and wonder like you can't throw all the shoemakers out and wonder where the shoes are coming from. You can't throw all the deli owners out and wonder where the deli is like who's making sandwiches. You can't you can't do that. And so so pretty quickly, the Jews come back only to find that there was a group of Gentiles who had accepted uh, Christos. They had accepted Christ. Now, here's the problem with that. Like the Jews really didn't care that they accepted Christ because they they didn't buy the story. Um, what they what they minded was that in order to accept Christ, they had to borrow the worship of the Jewish God. Well, this, this does this does not go well. And, and let, let's just pause because the, the because we got two nights. I don't want to hurry through anything. Can, can can you imagine the emotional vitriol of a group of people? claiming to worship the same God as you while not giving proper emphasis to the same rules you do. Like we wouldn't know anything about that at all. No, no, that I I can't remember anything ever happening like that. This doesn't no compute. It's actually, it's actually hard to apply to 2023, isn't it? Uh, Like a, a group of people claiming to worship the same God while not giving the same emphasis to the rules. Yeah. Well, not ticking all of your boxes. Correct. So so you can you can kind of see the Jews' point of view, right? So the Jews come back and go, okay, you can't borrow our God and throw out all the rules. Okay. So so we we have this um, small surgical procedure that we're going to want you all to go through. That's one. Two, we've got a few temple, like you got to get on a boat and sojourn to Jerusalem a few times a year and visit the temple because it's in our scriptures. And um, let's, look, um, who's going to be in charge of the of the food when we get together? Because you folks put bacon in the green bean casserole and this is not okay. Right? Like, like this is just, this, this is not okay. And so there was this conflict and the conflict now here we go ready like think about this there was a group of people who were using scripture as a weapon against people who had no emotional connection to the scripture and there was a group of people who had no emotional connection to the scripture who were looking down on people who were living with conviction that was seared into their consciousness now We've never seen that before, have we? <laughs> like, 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 so if you're not paying attention or you're lost, um, all of us fit into one of those two categories, right? Like, so um, either, either we are, either we're living with a conviction that someone else doesn't understand. And then we try to superimpose that conviction over the top of them by using scripture as a weapon towards people who have no emotional connection to it, or you have no emotional connection to the scripture and that's being quoted and you're like, and your temptation is to look down on people who are just living by their conscience. Right. And mm-hmm. so your, your temptation yeah. is to go like you, you bunch of barbaric lunatics living with 3000 year old consciousness. Like how dumb are you? So it, it's, it's in that context that Paul writes the book of Romans. Now to understand the book of Romans, you you have to understand this historical context. There's a room and there's a caricature. Okay. But there's a room and Gentiles are on one side and Jews are on the other. And Paul writes a sermon that's meant to try to bring these people together. And he does so with this homiletical genius, which by the way, he chooses a woman to preach it. Her name was Phoebe. Yeah, which that's Romans sixteen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so, so she takes she takes the letter to Rome and stands up and preaches that sermon in the Roman Church. Gold. Uh, um. Okay. So a, a a woman. By the way, as an aside, Rob, I love these talks with you because there's just this flow that happens. It's really really good. Um. And so. So Phoebe, a couple things. One, Paul chooses a, a, a woman to preach this sermon. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, can we just pause for a second and feel for Phoebe? C- can you imagine being the deliverer of this message? Uh, like, like, imagine like, hey, look, 
talk to the hand. I'm just reading what someone else. Don't kill the messenger, bro. Right? Yeah. Because in this sermon, essentially, Paul does this homiletically genius thing, Rob. He goes, in Romans 4-ish, he says, he says, okay, what benefit is there to be a Jew? Now, keep in mind, Jews are there, Gentiles are there. And he goes back to the earliest patriarch, Abraham. And he goes back and he says, let's look at his story. And before scripture, before a temple, before ritual, before law, before any of these things, Paul makes this case that Abraham was declared righteous because he believed in God's ability for resurrection. Yeah. And then he says, and by the way, the Gentiles are declared righteous because their belief in God's ability to declare resurrection. So the, to, to, so the thing that unites you both is your belief in God's ability to make sure death never gets the last word. Magnificent. <laughs> it, is, it is hermeneutical and homiletical genius, right? And then as in all sermons, um, Paul, uh, the, the, the application to all sermons, you're a preacher, I'm a preacher. Um, the application to all sermons is, is in the end. And yep. so, so the way I was taught Romans was, is that here's, here's a formula to go to heaven. In the middle, there's this lament that we don't know anything about, so just ignore it. And then at the end, there's this nice thing about, would y'all please get along? And, yep. and I'd like to make the case that actually it's one flowing thought, that because of resurrection, it should fundamentally change the way we treat each other. And and here's here's Paul's uh, I'm just directly um, normally when we do this, we just talk like this and I don't have anything in front of me, but I do have Romans in front of me. So I'm going to read it word for word. Um, this is Romans yep. 15. Uh, it says Romans 15, verse one to seven. Um, uh, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of those who are weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their own good, their good, not ours, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the insults of those who insult me have, fall, have insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement that they provide, um, we might find hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had toward you, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, therefore, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So for Paul, part of our worship is being willing to accept people without affirming everything they do. It's being able to accept someone, and I, I want to be clear about this. And if it feels like I'm going a little bit slow, it's because I want to make a big emphasis on this. In this story, Paul is asking Jews to accept Gentiles who not only disagreed about Scripture, but had fundamentally no respect for it. Why would they? It wasn't written in their language. Hmm. How could they even read it? And Paul is asking Gentiles to accept people who are living with convictions that seem outdated to them. That somehow there's a higher standard than just my own personal freedom and preference. And I wonder if we could stop and pause um, just uh, for a second and, um, and go, how are we, how are we doing with that? Um, you know, one of the things I find inspiring is you have a friend, Rob, I think his name's Tall. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, and he's he's forgotten more about scripture than either one of us know, probably to, together. And yeah. um, and when I've seen y'all's discussions, um, you would have some areas of misalignment in your own personal thought about something. But that doesn't derail you from loving each other, respecting each other, having a chat in front of the whole world to see. And, yeah. and, and I find and we, that um, we we learn so right. much from each other too. I mean, Correct. he's been he's been a gold mine uh, for me personally because his understanding of the uh, Tanakh is mm. way beyond me. 
So invariably, oh. I will ask him. I say, you know, I'm reading this thing in 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 the Jewish scriptures, and what does this mean to you? You know, correct. So, and and I and, yeah. and I would surrender to him on this, but um, my understanding from the people in that world that have helped me is that the focus is in t- is never on what happens after you die, or how can I enrich my own person. It's actually how do I participate in the tikkun olam, um, what God is doing to repair the world around me. Absolutely. And I I think Paul, and and if I'm if I'm misrepresenting that in any way, I surrender to tell on that. Um, I I, no, you're spot on. That's exactly what he says. You know, and and the Um, scripture should never ever be weaponized. It's and you don't quote scripture to shut a conversation down. Right. You use the scriptures to open the conversation up, you know. Which I think I think we should I think we should make a point that um, um, from a Christian perspective, um, the two people who had the highest view of scripture would be Jesus and Paul. Um, um, they were uh, Paul is the one who actually said they were inspired. Um, Jesus, I think we could make a case he thought that too, but it's not specifically said that way. Um, but my point is, is that the, the two people with the highest view of Scripture um, actually were the kindest when applying it. They were the two not weaponizing it. They were the two calling others not to weaponize it. They were the two going, wait, wait a minute. Um, uh, God loves people more than the rule you found. And um, and and again, I, I want to say this to my Christian brothers and sisters. Um, Paul's asking Jews to accept people as part of their worship to God who not only would have disagreed, but who fundamentally didn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why would they care about that scripture? And yeah. and Paul's calling them to accept someone who has a conviction they don't understand. And can you imagine? How much more beautiful the world would be if we could just learn to see the image of God in people not like us. Yeah. Um, and also how magnificent it would be in a local church congregation too if you could stay together even though there's disagreement. And what I have found, and increasingly so, sadly, since the pandemic, is that if people disagree with you on something, they vote with their feet and they'll find another right. church, you know. And I think what a boring place if we all agree on everything. To be Rob, able to live in add, the tension. I'm sorry, I'll cut you off. No, it's all right. Okay. But to be able to live in the tension of, you know, we have Jesus in common, our faith in God, our faith in Jesus Christ, you know, the big ticket items, the, yeah. the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we differ on some of these other things, but we can have really good conversation about that, not to try and convince somebody else that I'm right and you're wrong, but so that we might learn and grow to the, together in community. Right. And, and man, like, if, because I know you well enough to say this, like, if you, and again, I surrender to you if I'm misrepresenting you in any way, but if you read 10 books and 10 out of 10, you totally 100% agreed with everything all 10 authors said. You'd be a little disappointed. Like, yep. You, you would think, man, that didn't, um, that didn't move, that didn't move me one degree. And like, I, I was at a pastor's training not too long ago, and one of the pastors said, hey, man, and I, I, I want to give him credit. Um, he is Australian, and this could have been like, Aussie kind of kindly taking the mickey out of you kind of stuff. But he yeah. said, hey, man, am I going to agree with what you say today? And I just remember thinking, <laughs> well, if I didn't, and and this this is true, this can't, like Christians are the most anti-cancel culture people on earth, but without realizing that they are the cancel culture. Like I, I was denied so a mortgage, true. Rob. I was denied a mortgage in 2011, 2012 by the Bank of America and the and, and the underwriter explained to me I have to we we have to can't we, we can't give you this mortgage because too much of your income depends on church people not canceling you because of disagreement. Oh. Rob, I was denied a mortgage 
because of church people's inability to process things they don't totally agree with. Yeah. Like fascinating. Man, Rob. I got it. I, so, I got it. I, I, I mean, you, it doesn't surprise me. I, I learned. I hear Christians banging on about cancel culture. I think I learned about cancel culture when I became a Christian. You know, because yes. in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, rock and rolls of the devil. Get your hair cut. Don't dance. Yep. Don't smoke. Don't, yep. don't, don't go to movies. Don't watch television. Yep. Yes. Everything was cancelled. Yeah, and in in America in the South. Disliking black people was fair game, but smoking wasn't. Go figure. Oh my goodness! And so, hey, I want so to. I, um, I want us to get on to. Uh, so, I want to see how Romans and what you've said, everything mm. thus far, um, ties in with our discussion on the Bible and sexuality. Um, we'll just take a short break, though, and come back with okay. more in a moment. We hope you're enjoying this Digging Deeper podcast and finding help understanding the Bible and how it applies to life. Here at Digging Deeper, we'd appreciate your help letting others know about this podcast. One way to do this is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. And please like Rob Buckingham's public figure page on Facebook. You can interact with us there and ask questions you'd like Rob to answer in future episodes of Digging Deeper. Now back to Rob. Let's get into, because um, I feel like you've set a really good foundation in Romans. Yeah. Hmm. Tell us why you've laid that foundation, particularly in relation to the topic on the Bible and sexuality. Well, well I laid that foundation and did so at length because I think, as much as any topic on the earth, um, th- that that we need that foundation for this topic, and so um, and so a cu- couple things as we get into the specific idea of sex. Um, um, Jesus said um, that if you, in a sermon on the mount, that that part of, uh, for lack of a better word, sin management or changing the world, um, is to see like if you're engaged in a relationship and you want to see a redeeming value come from that relationship, you have to see yourself as the plank and them as the speck. And I, I just can't tell you how, how brilliant I think that is. Um, not that Jesus cares what I think. I, I'm just obviously just in awe of the profundity of that. And I, I, I gotta be honest, I, I including myself, I, I don't think we're great at that. Um, I, I, I don't think we're great at saying, at saying I'm the chief, it, look, I'm fixing to deal with a sin issue here, uh, but I'm the chief of sinners. If there's going to be a, a, the worst, it's me. Um, what Christians have done is they've go, look, we're flawed, but you're really flipping flawed, right? Yeah. And so yeah. we're the smith, you're the smith. Yeah. Yeah. But but Jesus told us, um, I think, and and again, I'm open to your thought on this, Rob. But, but Jesus told us that the best way to affect relationships in a redemptive way is to see ourselves as the plank and others as the speck. And, and with that in mind, when it comes to sex, I, I'd like to ask for forgiveness for a few planks. Um, I think, and somebody more important than me needs to do this, but I'll start. It's got to start somewhere. Um, uh, um, I'm, really, I'm really sorry to anyone listening to this who was shamed ab- about something around their sexuality. Um, when I was a young kid, I remember three times. So it means it happened more than three times, but I remember three times where people were shamed in public because of a sexual sin that they did. Um, and, and, and I'm really sorry about that. That, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, I'm sorry about the shaming. I'm sorry about broken promises. Um, I'm sorry that from 1865 to 1965, uh, the United Kingdom chemically castrated a hundred thousand homosexuals. Um, and uh, the Archbishop of and, Canterbury and, and the religious cheering on. They signed off on that. They did. Yeah. Um, that was that's not okay. And that's a plank in our eye. Um, that uh, it's a plank in our eye that we've embarrassed people in public. Um, uh, I think, and I'm open to your thoughts on this because maybe you had a different experience with it. But I, I'm sorry for purity culture. Yeah, amen. Um, but, but because. Because, and if you're listening to this and you're over, say, 37 years old, um, uh, the, the images of purity culture 
were ruined or, or they were spoiled. They were irredeemable. And if yeah. you don't know what I mean by this, these are real. This is not hypothetical. These are literal and real things I heard. Okay, so if I heard them, I'm sure some of you did. And that was this, um, uh, your sexual purity is like a diamond. And if you tarnish your diamond, uh, you can never untarnish it. Or I saw a youth pastor put a white wedding dress up um, on a mannequin and then take a thing and fling mud at it. And some of the mud stuck and said, if you mess up sexually, that's what you'll look like on your wedding night. Oh. Or they would take a bottle of water and they would take a dropper of ink and go, it's only two mistakes. And they put two drops of ink in it and then, right? And then go, would you drink that poison? Or or they would say things like, like utterly stupidity, like, um, um, you know, like you, the, the only reason to get married is to have sex. Bro, to get married to have sex is like buying a 747 for the free peanuts. That don't even make no sense. <laughs> and, and then, and then they would say things like, Hey, and, and, and I don't care what they say. The clear impetus was on the girls to be in charge of this. Yeah. Okay? And, and they would say the greatest gift you could give your spouse, the greatest thing, the greatest thing you could give them on your wedding night is your virginity. No, it's not. Like I can think of 50 things I'd rather my wife be than a virgin. Can you imagine that? Like, I don't bathe, but I'm a virgin. Here's your prize. You know, like I'm going to gamble all the family's money away, but I'm a virgin. You're welcome. Yeah. Like, I have and we've seen we've ideas. we've seen all of that too, <laughs> yes. you know, out of out of purity culture churches, so much abuse mm. has taken place, and, and as you say, it's in, yeah, and it's mm. invariably directed, as you said, but uh, against w the women. Um, you know, I heard the um, the sticky tape. You know, the bit of bit of sticky tape is stuck on something and then taken off. And then put on something and then taken off again. And over a while, you know, if you've had several partners, eventually you don't stick to anything. You're ruined, you're soiled. <laughs> Who would want you? And then right. the worst one, I think, was a piece of blue paper was mm -hmm. glued to a piece of pink paper, obviously mm -hmm. boy and girl, right? Mm -hmm. And then the two pieces were torn apart because the relationship didn't last. And so what you've got then is two soiled pieces of paper with bits of blue on the pink and bits of pink on the blue, and you're never the same again. And we're not saying here that the Bible doesn't teach about purity. It does. No, it's the images. Yes, those mm. images are horrible. And they're horrible. I mean, I, because they're spoiled. Yes. I mean, I grew up with some of that stuff, I didn't grow up as a Christian. Um, but, but my, my girls, particularly my eldest daughter, Georgia Grace, you know, and she'll, she'll, um, you want to get a really good conversation happening with her. You just ask her about her thoughts on purity culture, um, oh. examples. <laughs> it's like, boom. <laughs> tragic. Yes, it's, it's tragic. And, and, and for our point tonight, um, I think that the healthiest thing to call this without delving into the negatives, because we're fixing to rebuild this, hopefully with a positive discussion is yep. to say it's a plank. We're sorry. Yep. I didn't do it, but I was a part of it. Yes. And, and I, I didn't have the influence to shift it. And, um, and, and, and I'm really sorry. Cause, and there's an explanation for it. See what happened was, in the 60s, we moved from repression to obsession um, with sex. And, and so, and, and make no mistake about it, the world was less pure in 1860. In 1860, the brothels were in the local restaurants. And the, the prostitute would come out of the top room and say, hey, Bill, it's your turn. And he'd go, guys, I'll be right back. And that's how it was. Okay, so the idea that all oh, this world's never been worse, a lack of perspective is the enemy of hope. And um, in the 60s, they moved from repression to obsession. And then the generation born in the 40s just went absolutely insane. Okay, so I'm not mad at you, but if you were born in the 40s, you, you went straight debaucherous. And there's pictures and there's written records to prove it. And, th and then what happened is, is those people started having kids in the 70s 
And then those kids turned 13 around 1988. And, uh, and the, that generation went, oh, no, if our kids act like us, it'll hurt them. And so they did an equal but opposite reaction, and that was called purity culture. And the problem with purity culture was a couple things. One, the images were spoiled. Two, the when and the who of sex was entirely focused on instead of the why and the what. And, and, and that, that created a real problem. And it lacks – and it just lacks perspective. Like um, you, can, you can go – you can read Tom Holland's book uh, Dominion. It talks. It, it's a history book that talks about this. It, it, in in Nero's world, they did this once a year. I don't know what to call it, like a purge. Um, if you've seen the movie The Purge, essentially Nero ended the class systems one night a year, and the underclass people there was no judicial um, fallout for raping overclass people, and it was just this giant Mardi Gras uh, where anything went for one night. And uh, that was in that was in Nero's world. Also, there was a group of people called the Gali, um, the G-A-L-L-I. You can Google this or you can read about it in Tom Holland's book, um, Dominion. The Gali were underclass boys that were kidnapped from uh, from like a tribe from their neighboring villages or whatever. And they were totally emasculated. So they took knives and they cut everything off. And then they made them wear wigs or grow their hair out, and they made them dress like women, and they made them play flutes, like in, in the temple of Diana, Kibola, Artemis. And they were uh, uh, exposed to the most horrible sexual assault imaginable um, in places like Corinth. So, so can you see where Paul is like, you know what, it's, mm. it, it's a shame for a man to wear his hair long, and it's, it, and it's an abomination for a man to dress like a woman? He wasn't talking about your haircut choice in 2023. He's talking about the rape of children. Yeah. And and this was called this was called the Dolly. And so um, and so I, I think I, I think for all of this, um, um, we 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 need we need some better discussion. And so for for our purposes for tonight and, and next week, um, I'm going to use the word sexuality. Um, it won't be perfect, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to use the word sexuality um, to talk about healthy practice and how we engage another from our identity. And I'm going to use the word genitality to talk about unhealthy practice of how we engage another for our identity. Because uh, those, those two things are, are really, really important. Because if we engage it with someone from our identity – then it it introduces all kinds of very healthy ideas of of exploration and knowing the other person. But if we engage in someone for our identity, what we'll do at best case is we'll want them. We'll want them and then we'll need them. And so what what'll happen is is people if we if we're if we're engaged with someone from our identity, we'll want them. If we engage from someone for our identity, we'll need them. And and needing someone sounds awesome until it's you being needed. No mm. one can carry the weight of being needed, but everybody wants the honor of being wanted. And the greatest gift you can give your partner is not your virginity. The greatest gift you can give your partner is knowing who you are without them. Because if you know who you are without them, you can give them the gift of wanting them instead of putting the pressure on them to need them. Yeah, that's and, brilliant. And, and, I love that. And so, Think about how many in your pastoral life, how many relationships have been ruined between two really good people, but it was because one or both needed each other instead of giving the gift of wanting each other. They become codependent and rather That's than... That's the psychological like, word, right. It used to drive me crazy, right, because I, I got married when I was 34, so I was, a, I was that older single guy, right? And then I would have all these people come to me, particularly um, older women would come to me um at, at, at weddings you know and it'll be like you'll be next you'll be next and mm. i used to get them back at funerals shane you know i say you'll be you'll be next uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but but you know it's like the the inference was always when you get married then you'll be complete and i would say to them you know like if i am not complete in christ then two halves when you get married two halves don't make a whole Mm, right. 
one one times one equals one, right? Right, right. And and and, and if you are constantly living your life to try and get yourself completed in your partner, you will drain the living daylights out of them. Well, I think it'd be good to, to stop and ask the audience, um, not, this is rhetorical, we don't want you to write it in the comment section, wherever that is, um, uh, just to say, th- think about think about the times where someone has put so much pressure on you, and they truly loved you, but they needed you, mm. versus someone who gave you the privilege of wanting you. And, and think about the person you'd rather be around. And if you'd rather be around that person, then if you become that person, people would rather be around you. Mm. And and it's it, it's because sex, in in its in its root word, is sakare, which is to disconnect, like um, bisect, dissect, section. That's okay. So so sex really is first of all is our awareness of disconnection, and then secondly, all the ways we try to reconnect. And you can either do that from your identity by which you'll want the person or for your identity by which you'll need the person. And if you're needed, ay, 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 no one can, no one can cope with that. Mm. The, the way only one, there's only one person on earth that can cope with the stress of being needed. And that's God. Yeah. Good, mm. good statement. We'll come back with more in just a moment. All right, this is great. We've got uh, about 13 minutes uh, left, so um, I'm not going to be able to get through all of these. A lot of comments and a lot of questions. Um, My eldest daughter here, Georgia Grace, I've had my body compared to more inanimate objects than I can count. A used toothbrush, a car that has depreciated in value, Chewed piece of gum, half-eaten Oreo. Never heard the boys being referred to as unsticky sticky tape, though. Just as lucky, uh, just us lucky fem folks. Yeah, so it's very I told fair, you. I think. Actually, to be yeah. honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tal says, "Love this dialogue. Love to be on a panel with you two legends. We should do that. We'll organise a Tuesday night for you, me, and sure. Tal." Yeah, sure. I'll just listen to Tal. It'll be fine. I was going to say, I'll probably just listen to two of the two of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Given those two statements, let's just have Tal do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Anita says, yeah, I remember these lovely youth group talks from the 90s on your sinful nature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So true. Uh, Sandra, I came to faith when the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye was huge. The thinking created... So much confusion coupled with the purity culture in church is very confusing for someone who enters church. Surreal, really. I mean, that's that's an interesting um, uh, case because the guy who wrote that book, he wrote it when he was 21 and he's uh, in the last couple of years he and his wife got divorced and he's actually walked away from his faith in Jesus. And I've been thinking about his story and I don't think he's – to blame for this because it he needed an audience, right? And he yeah. got an audience. The church in the 90s, as you said before, was so ready for this purity message that it took a 21-year-old boy who wrote a book and made yeah. an instant superstar out of him. And it's that culture that is to blame. That's that's yes. a plank. That we need yes, to apologize a, it's for. It's a plank, and it's it, it was it was from the sexual revolution of the '60s. Those people had kids and panicked, and they they realized that all that sexual debauchery actually hurt them. And and instead of dealing with the core issue of it, um, they uh, they just scapegoated and went all the way to the other side and created this purity culture and then used a 21 year old as a sounding board and made him very famous. And unfortunately um, he did not handle it. And I actually feel for him greatly actually. Yeah. Same. And then of course the same church that cheers on the hero then (laughs) write blogs against him and criticize him for his marriage breaking up. And, you know, I'm like, seriously, we need to apologize. 
for that stuff. Yeah, it's 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 planks, yeah. um, and I and and so just to give because um, there's like I I I don't see a total clock, but I'm thinking there's like nine minutes left or something, eight minutes. We got ten minutes. Um, uh, okay, so so just to get us started on um, reconstructing something positive, um, it, I, I think there are six tensions that are better suited um, for this discussion then I think the dumb questions are, is it right? Is it wrong? Can I still go to heaven if I die, if I do it? You know, how, yeah. how far can I go and still be accepted? I think these are just yeah. dumb questions. Yeah. Um, and it, it, at least they're really unprofound. And they, they prove that we missed the point. Um, yeah. Like if, if you, you are, you're happily married, Rob, I happen to have the privilege of knowing Christy. Um, and, I, but, and look, you know, I, I know that you're not currently sleeping with someone else's spouse right now. Um, and I yep. happen to also know that the reason is not because the Bible says. No, that's right. Like, Absolutely. Right, yeah. right. Like if the if the only reason if the only reason is because, well, unfortunately, the Bible forbids it. I, I think, yeah. like, you know, there, there's there, there's a whole lot of profundity um missing and so yeah I, I think i think that uh there's a much better way to think about this and i think if we go to genesis one i th- i think we're going to find something that um that really um if, if if we just came back to this it would solve a lot of uh, of genitality and encourage us towards sexuality and and the word is and and I'm gonna ask if Tal's listening. I'm gonna ask. Well, Tal is listening because he said he's blushing. Mm. I'm gonna ask him to forgive my pronunciation of Hebrew words. I, I had a I had a Jewish person one time ask me if I spoke Ashkenazic or Sephardic um, uh, Hebrew, and Hebrew. I was like, I, yeah, I was <laughs> like, I, I speak rednecked. I I just don't like I don't know. Um. So so but I, it looks like the word Salem, T S E L E M. And Salem is is the word image that um, God made male and female and gifted both with his image. Um, and it was a special word that was only designated for kings. Um, and so this revolutionary um, poem in Genesis actually made this ridiculous claim that if applied would change the world, which is male and female both have equal value to society as a king an image bearer um this this changed the world in john dixon's book bullies and saints um he talks about this fundamentally changing this idea because in the roman empire the first class had were more image bearers than the second class which were more image bearers than the third class which were more image bearers than the fourth class and and so full-term abortion like and I'm when I say full term abortion, I mean you have a healthy kid and beat its head against a rock, um, or you just leave it on a rubbish heap. It was called exposure. Um, it, it wasn't illegal in the Roman Empire to the early to mid three hundreds. There's a famous letter called the Letter from Hilarion, and Hilarion uh, was this Roman soldier stationed in Alexandria, and he um, he writes this love letter back to his wife Alice. And it's the most normal sounding love letter imaginable. It's like, hi, sweetie, uh, I'm here in Alexandria. I know you've heard the military has shipped out. I know you must be worried. Don't worry. They kept me here. Um, like Epaphras told me you were worried that I've forgotten you. How can I forget you? I love you. Um, I sent my pay three days ago. Hopefully you'll receive it soon. Um, I miss you. Can't wait to see you again. Like really normal sounding stuff. And then right at the end, it says, and of most importance, if the baby you're carrying is a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, discard it immediately. Love you. Now, that letter was written in 1 BC. And I want to be clear about this. Hilarion would not have thought that was weird or Mm. aghast. Alice wouldn't have been shocked. If none, none of their friends, like this would not have been a text that you would have put in some vault that no one could see. Uh, that was just normal. And uh, that would have been considered, oh, yeah, yeah, girls are less valuable than boys. Uh, if you can't afford it, uh, expose it. It was called it was literally called exposure. Now, what mm-hmm. changed that was a, a guy named Constantine. 
um, he converted to Christianity. And uh, and interestingly enough, they did not uh, they didn't baptize him for 27 years after his conversion because he refused to stop killing his enemies. <laughs> right. And and they were like, we're not going to baptize you unless you make a commitment not to kill your enemies. It's like a key thing. You know? And then and then right there, then he does. And he changes the law and he makes exposure illegal because the Christians and the Jews um, the, uh, the Jews, he converted to Christianity, but the Jews were the first person, the first group of people with this thought. And that is that all people are gifted with the gift of the image of God. And, and so the question I think, and I, and it's a question that I think I want to leave everybody on tonight for next week. And that is this, does my sexual behavior honor the image bearer in the person or does it objectify them in any way? Because when she becomes a that, it's a problem. To to Gigi's point about being uh, compared to Oreos and whatever, that's objectification. And so, and so, can you imagine, Rob? Um, just that one question: Does my sexual behavior, if continued into perpetuity, does it honor the image bearer in the person, or does it objectify them? I think that handles most adultery. Yep. Um, to commit adultery, you got to objectify somebody. You're either objectifying your wife, or obje- you're objectifying the affair, or, or, or you're objectifying your husband, or you're objectifying the person you're having the affair with. Um, it, it, it surely handles pornography. Yeah. How, how can you, how can you have a porn addiction if you're not objectifying the actor on the screen? Um, I, I think, and, and the problem with it is that it's not just sex. When we learn to objectify someone sexually, it leaks and, and it becomes ubiquitous. So before you know it, the waitress and the waiter, they're objects to serve you mm. and they're objects to serve me. And so it, it slowly but surely erodes uh, what the Jewish people called the tikkun olam, the, the repairing of the world. So I think the first tension we need to deal with out of the six is does my sexual behavior if continued, I'm not talking about mistakes. There's always grace mm. for mistakes. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my sexual behavior. If if continued into perpetuity, does it honor the image bearer in the person or does it objectify them? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. A new episode of Digging Deeper is out every Wednesday. If you like this podcast, please share it with others and rate and review us on iTunes. That goes a long way to help others find us. If you have a question or topic you'd like Rob to address, please get in touch with us at Rob Buckingham's Public Figure Facebook page or email connect at baysidechurch.com.au. Join us next week when Shane Willard continues to explore the thought-provoking subject of sex and the scriptures. All that and more on next week's episode of Digging Deeper.